0: You are, you are now tuned in, in to the December, December 26th podcast, podcast, where we, where encourage, we encourage you, you to, be to be extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and we are continuing with our limited series, The Check-In. This week's returning guest is Greg Bishop, who first appeared on the show way back in episode 20. At the time, Greg was the commissioner of the New York City Department of Small Business Services, a position he continued to hold at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, you can imagine the pressure that came with that job as commerce came to a grinding halt in a number of industries and countless business owners faced unprecedented economic challenges. But in the midst of both professional stress and the private grief that has impacted all of us in one way or another, Greg found ways to cope. And he eventually saw the opportunity for a career change. He left government for the private sector, serving as interim executive director at Coro New York Leadership, a civic organization that he holds near and dear. And now Greg has stepped into his dream job, which I'll let him tell you about. So please enjoy. Greg, welcome back to the December 26th podcast. How are you? Well,
1: thanks for having me. I, I'm fantastic. I'm I'm ecstatic. It's good to be it's good to be back. It's what what it's been like three years.
0: Oh my so, god. So I looked it up because you know, some some of these like check-in guests are so far back that I don't even remember like the yeah. episode number. You were episode 20. Wow. And we're at 168. This will wow, probably no. be 169.
1: Yeah. No, no, don't say that. Yes. See that that all these grays came in. Yeah, before.
0: so I, I have to go back ah, because, you know, when we did these in person, we would take photos yeah. after every interview. So I got to go back and see if you had the salt and pepper joint back no, then. I don't think it, you did.
1: You know, the pandemic did that. Yes. <laughs>
0: Let me tell you, you know, you can't see them on this video because they're hidden, but I've had several gray hairs come in in the yeah. last year. It's crazy. It was, just,
1: it was, it was stressful. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, I think for any of us, the immense loss that our families, our, our communities, you know, I lost some mentors of mine who are really close to me. Um, and, and what's really weird about the pandemic is that, you know, because I actually, I tested positive COVID really early on. I didn't really? know. Yeah. I didn't know until I got the the antibody test, uh, but I only had a fever. Uh, there's some people who are just asymptomatic. And then there's some people uh, just recently, um, you know, one of my good friends, my line brother uh, lost his dad this week to COVID. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's just like unbelievable, like, you know, a once in a century pandemic and it affects so many people so many different ways. And and for me, you know, uh, life changed so much uh, from switching jobs to switching jobs to working from home to, you know, adjusting. Like, I, I just can't imagine, you know, for I, I I joke about it, but I think that's my way of coping. Like the entire world needs like some type of like mental health day, right? Like we just we all need therapy, like literally, like we really lived through a pandemic, uh, and we're still living through it right now.
0: Exactly. I mean, I've been having this conversation. I'm someone who has been in therapy through, yeah. like it was like halfway through this process. Like I shouldn't even call it a process, but this time where I was like, all right, the constant news cycle, the heightened anxiety, all oh, of the yeah. grief, everything. I was like. I need to talk to someone, and at the time, I didn't even feel like it was heavily weighing on me as much as it is now. But I just knew I was like, if this continues, what it's going to do to me mentally and emotionally? I can't like so and. But
1: like, think think about what we went through. Like, mm-hmm. so we, we went through a pandemic, right? So March was okay. Everything stops. Like the world that you know, stop. Like stay inside. Do not go outside do not do anything. And for some people, introverts, they were like, yeah, all right. (laughs) Like, you know, but for others, it was like, what am I going to do with my life? You know what I mean? Then we all, thank God, we have technology. So we adjusted to this, this two dimensional world of seeing each other, like on, on this medium right now, like, you know, just on screens and like, there was no touch and no like hugging or like grip, like nothing. And then we started consuming like online. Like, I mean, did you look at Tiger King? Because I sure did. Like, you know, like like, we started consuming just like stuff. And then we all like saw George Floyd get murdered. You know what I mean? And like, and even in the face of a pandemic that was life threatening, like people are like, you know what, like, I can't stay inside for this. I got to go out and like demonstrate because enough is enough. And I think, you know, and, and, And just all of that in one year, like, like, that's why I'm like, you know, we all have been impacted by this pandemic one way or another. Uh, And whether we choose to admit it, I think we all need to talk to someone. We all need to say like, like, this is how I felt during the year. Cause I know I sure like, you know, I appreciate my circle of friends because we, you know, we kept each other connected and grounded because of the, you know, you had to retreat back to your circle and, 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 That was sort of like how I coped, you know, coped
0: with it. And what's crazy is I don't know one person who was not impacted by loss in the last year. Not one. Everybody is in some cycle or stage of grief, which is nuts. You know, you're used to having a situation where like you have your friend circle and somebody loses a loved one or a mentor and you all rally around that one person and you hold them up.
1: You go to the house you sit down. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk for the culture. You have some good food, you know what I mean? Like but that all that is therapy, right? All of it is like, you know, but we couldn't gather. Right. Like I had to I had to sit out of on a funeral in, on Zoom and I was just like this is just odd. Like it just, just it was just odd, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I mean, you know, hopefully we're we're coming to the end, right? I I don't know what the end is really to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. You know, I'm, you know, there was a whole sort of process that went through my head in terms of, should I get the vaccine? Should I not get the vaccine? Uh, But ultimately I decided like, you know, if the zombie apocalypse is going to happen, like I'd rather be a zombie than the ones fighting the zombies. So, you know, like I'll just, I'll just do it. Um, That's a joke. I I just, you know, I probably shouldn't joke about that, but it's, it's like, You know, that's how you cope, you know, but I mean, but honestly, a lot of people are struggling with, should they get the vaccine or should they not? I would encourage people to, and, you know, at some point, you know, we will come to the end of this, but then we're going to have to look back and figure out what we did right, what we did wrong. Uh, I am now, I am confident that if another viral pandemic happens, because of what I experienced and what I saw, like, I need to really really isolate myself because unfortunately you know a lot of people exhibited some really selfish behavior you know and and it just it just said a lot about us as a country us as you know just you know the the independence of the united states is it's it's great in one way but then when you need community to come together and band together and say like look it's not about you it's about your neighbor that that conversation just did not resonate uh, for a lot of people around the country. And unfortunately, people exhibited their selfish ways. And, you know, um, so if I have to depend on my neighbor, I don't know how much I will, <laughs> you know, because it's sort of like, all right. Yeah, I know. I want you to stay inside to protect me. But mm, you're probably concerned about your civil rights. So maybe I should or your liberty. Uh, so maybe I should not. Right. So anyway, I, it was just a, a observation about, you know, human behavior.
0: Agreed on all fronts, and similarly, I had a, a moment in the beginning where I was like, hmm, "Am I going to get vaccinated? How do I feel about this?" Uh, but when the opportunity presented itself, DeMarcus and I both we did it. Um, yeah. and, and you know, I'm I'm thinking about the the boosters and all that stuff that might have to come, you know, later. Uh, but side effects and feeling like I had the flu aside for a day is something that I'm I'm fully in support of. And, yeah. I, and I'm talking as yeah. someone who never even got the flu shot.
1: I never got the flu shot either, but listen, I got, I got my vaccine. I got the Johnson and Johnson, uh, Same. Four, weeks, four weeks ago, uh, had the chills. Uh, but you know what, when I got the chills, I was like, all right, my little soldiers are getting prepared. Right. <laughs> They're getting ready. And, and so now, but the, 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 fear I have is that we all have a false sense of security, right? Because no one said these vaccines are hundred mm-hmm. percent like effective. Right. Uh, so you're going to start hearing stories about people who are vaccinated who c- contract COVID and folks are like, well, why get vaccinated? Well, you know, they'll still get it, but at least they won't end up in hospital on a ventilator. You know what I mean? Like we have to understand, like, it's not once you're vaccinated, you're never going to get it. It's just the severity is just diminished. And now we have a chance of like saving more lives. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm part of, you know, the, the, the vaccinated crew that will at least try to do as much as possible to, to help us get to that herd in
0: community. Absolutely. So thinking about how long it's been since we talked to you, back then you were serving as the commissioner of New York City Department of Business Services, Small Business Services, right? Yeah. That feels like a lifetime ago. You've gone through a couple of career iterations since then. Yeah. But let me I, ask, so like people, I mean, I remember when you came on the show, people were like, that's a big job. That's a big deal. Like Greg is set, you know, that's incredible. And then, you know, we hear that you're leaving. So what prompted the departure?
1: Oh man. Okay.
0: To the extent you can discuss it.
1: Yeah. So 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 here's here's the thing, right? And I always tell people, these positions are all we are just keeping seats warm, right? Anyone from the mayor to commissioners. You know, you've seen on the federal level, secretaries and and presidents. Our job is to be stewards of the position, the role for the period of time that we're in, and to be good stewards and to do what we can to, you know, make a difference at the time that we're there. Um, So I always knew that at some point I would have to leave uh, the position because, uh, you know, I started my career during the Bloomberg administration and then went through a transition and was very blessed to be put in a position as commissioner. And so I was already thinking about how and when I would actually leave that position. The the challenge is that you know you have your plan and then God has, you know, and I would say his plan, but you know, just to be God has its plan, right? Um and, and literally I did not expect the way things transition, I did not expect for it to happen that way, right? I will say that,
0: you know, um, there's never a good time to leave, and especially
1: in the middle of a pandemic, especially March and April was the most difficult time for me uh, in that position. I've been through disasters. I've been through Hurricane Sandy. I've been through, you know, the random terrorist attack, um, you know, steam pipe explosion, bricks falling off. There's all types of disasters that we face, well, business owners face just operating in a major city. and Literally, no one—not even us—was prepared for this pandemic. Um, there's no business owner that had a business, you know, recovery plan that said, "I'm going to be out of business for a year, or I'm going to re- have reduced sales for a year, and therefore I'm going to have a nest egg. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that." No one had a plan. We did not have the city of New York did not have the financial resources when we had our first loan program to help businesses like just get capital. We had. Almost, if we were able to service all the requests, we would have needed $1 billion in terms of wow. the need. Wow. We only had $40 million, right? So that's just show you the scale. Uh, I had people emailing me out of frustration in terms of not being able to get a loan, basically saying I'm responsible uh, for their business collapsing. Like literally, this woman, and I can't, I will never forget this email. It was a Wednesday night around 10 p.m. I'm going through my emails. And she literally said that because of me, she is suicidal right now. And if she dies, it will be my fault. Uh, and, and so that's sort of like, you know, so there's a couple of things. One, when you're a public official, people just feel they could talk to you however they want, right, because you are being paid by tax dollars, their money, therefore they feel that they have a certain level of entitlement to talk to you. Um, you know, number two, everyone was dealing with stress in whatever way that possible they could some people lashed out some people you know channeled some people so i had to sort of be the burden of receiving a lot of that also had like staff who you know when you think about a disaster there are staff members who are losing loved ones but still have to show up and like literally you know help business owners so it was it was just a lot happening and at the moment uh you know and and i will tell you george floyd and our response to George Floyd, and when I say our response, the city's response also weighed very heavily on me um, in terms of like, you know, and I'll, I'll put it out there, you know, literally the, the one moment that Friday when I saw, you know, police officers driving into our crowd, right? Like literally, we all saw this. Everyone saw this. And this is the other part of the pandemic. We were all glued to social media. Um, and then for us to come out and say like, well, it shouldn't have been in the street. right? It was sort of like, Okay, like we're missing the big picture here, right? Um, and and being a senior official in government with all this, Wayne, it was just it was it was just a moment where I just said, you know what? Uh, and then the mayor moved me into a role, uh, which you know, in hindsight, that I, I probably you know would have stayed longer. But there was just so much happening that I just said, you know, it's time for me to go. Um, and and so there's more to that story, but I think you know, publicly, people just need to understand that. Number one, you're never, it's never the right time to leave. Uh, but number two, you know, whatever you have planned, like there's always going to be a different plan and you just have to adjust. Um, so I had the unique opportunity to uh, go to an amazing organization called Coral Leadership New York. Um, I am a alum of one of their programs. And basically we teach people how to become better leaders. And, you know, that's important to me because you, you saw how failed leadership Can impact everyone, like we saw it in Washington. You know, uh, you know, you know. I I will leave for the community to decide whether we saw it in New York City. Uh, But literally, you know, when you have a crisis and there's a failure of leadership, you know, you have a void, and then it becomes chaos. Uh, That is why you know Andrew Cuomo became the star because the nation was looking to Washington for leadership and. We just couldn't find it. So literally, you know, Andrew Cuomo comes on and says, like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. He might have been wrong. And we know now there were some mistakes that were made. But at least in the moment, there was a decision that was made. Uh, And that's what leadership is about. But then leadership is also understanding about, you know, equity and power and privilege and all the necessary factors that impact communities. And we saw how COVID-19 impacted minority communities. Uh, So we train, uh, you know, mid to level to senior level executives, young people coming out of college, how to become better leaders, but then also how to become civically engaged. Uh, So my job was to help them find a new executive director, which we did. I'm really excited about Adam joining. And so in the middle of a pandemic, I left one job, started the new job as an interim executive director. And then last week I started a new job. Now, Now, depending on when this airs, like I could tell you, but I can't tell you because we haven't announced. uh, But I will tell you, let me put it this way. It is one of the most amazing opportunities that I have because I am working with a family who is very much invested in Brooklyn. They've created a social justice fund. And our job is to address racial justice issues, economic mobility issues, and a celebration of the arts. Uh, for BIPOC individuals, particularly Black individuals, uh, so my job will be to stand up that foundation, um, and I'm working really, really hard uh, to launch a new program to actually help uh, Black and BIPOC-led uh, business owners in the next two weeks or so. So, so that that's that's a little tease, and and more to come on that.
0: So, what I noticed is the more you talked about your progression away from working for the city, the brighter your eyes got (laughs) on your face. So,
1: you know, I always say, and I've always said it in the past, you've got to, you got to give back. Right. And I I encourage everyone at some point in their career to work for government. Um, I, I will say that, that especially in New York City, uh, we have, you know, 8.4 million people or 8.3, depending on, you know, when, who you ask. Um, and everyone has, you know, their opinions, right? <laughs> and we all know everyone thinks they they have the right opinion. So there's, there's definitely a level of stress um, that I don't think people appreciate. You know, I think people assume, you know, government employees uh, fit one particular mold. People don't realize that, you know, Many a times, like on Fridays, Friday nights, Saturday in the morning, like Sundays, like I'm working, right? I'm on 24-7. And, and part of it is just being responsive to our people, Like right? We are public servants. And I was always very specific about that word, a servant. And, and you know, when you think about servants, like they are at the beck and call of their constituents, right? And in this case, it's the people of New York. Um so yeah so you know 11 and a half years almost 12 years of of that grind was a great experience uh, i am not you know I, listen i'm, I'm I, I had an amazing time uh, but i think now the, the the smile on my face is the fact that uh, i i don't have the shackles of like being a public official i don't have the shackles of you know tons and tons and tons of rules that you know you have to follow and and you know uh, disclosures and all that kind of stuff in order to just do the job that you want to do. Right. People don't realize the amount of sacrifice that folks make to actually be in government. Um, so whenever I see public officials, like, you know, it's always good to say, thank you. You know, you may not like the politics, you may not like whatever, but they are actually making a huge sacrifice, uh, to do what they're doing. Um, and so, so, but yes, I, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm back in the private sector. I will tell you this, this, this quick funny story. You know, my, when I started at, at Coro, there was a, a, you know, every Friday or so, you know, it's sort of like happy hour Friday, right? It's like a way for the, the employees to bond. And, you know, folks would have a, you know, a, a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. And, you know, and I literally was like, are we allowed to drink alcohol on a job? Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, wait, wait, we're violating some rule, like blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> so that's like, I have to de- like get all that stuff out of me because, you know.
0: <laughs> like, different you know, world, completely different world.
1: It's a different, different world. world from where we come from, right?
0: <laughs> yes, but but going back to the stress of working in city government, particularly in the middle of this global pandemic, and getting these kinds of emails where people's humanity and fragility are just on display. How do you maintain some semblance of peace and some delineation between your professional life and your personal well-being when you're getting oh messages gosh. like that?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, get a little emotional right now because to be honest with you, it was tough. It was tough. It's it's hard not to take it personal. It's really hard. You know, because you question every decision you made, right? Was I, you know, did I not do the right thing? Did I not open up the application soon enough? Did I? Did we open it up to too many people? Like, how, you know, how did I react to the stress of, you know, you have a mayor who wants this done now, but you want to be able to do it the right way, and you know, and and people are hurting. People like it's, you know, everyone was stressed, um, and the collapse of boundaries, right? Because remember. I could go into the office, I could deal with the stress. And then like literally the minute I close the door and I walk outside and I take that commute home, like that work is behind me to some extent. Right. Until I pull out my my phone and look at my emails. But at least there was some sort of like boundary between work and home. Well, guess what? I'm now in my home, in my, the sanctity of my home. And I'm dealing with the stress, like talking to people and, and like, and there was no outlet. Like I couldn't. So what I actually started doing was running. Like literally on Saturdays, uh, I remember in March, April and May, I was really good. Like on Saturdays, I would just run. It's like almost like, remember when Forrest Gump was just sitting on his like porch and he just started running. <laughs> like <laughs> Oh, there goes that black man again. Right? <laughs> it was just like, I just started running. But at least I had a destination. You know what I mean? But like literally, just running around, um, you know, to the, the waterfront uh, uh, around Brooklyn Bridge Park, uh, and I, I'm a cancer, so I love being near the water. It was so therapeutic for me. Uh, now I was trash in terms of timing, like you know, I'm huffing, I'm puffing, I'm do. But guess what? It was like <sighs> I'm running. You know what I mean? Um, and and so that's how I honestly between running and between. You know, honestly leaning on my spiritual background and and leaning on God and just like, look, you know, I'm leaving up to you. Well, you know, have your will because I don't know what's going on right now. Like I, you know, I can only do the best that I can do, but it was really, really difficult um not to take things personal. Um and I I you know, if there's anyone that could say they were able to separate the two, I'd love to know their secret. Um, but honestly, you know, it was difficult for me and and to some extent, when I decided to to leave uh, government and, and I, I left in July, literally a day after my birthday, um, it was almost like a relief. It was, it was like a burden. You know, the, the it was a burden that was lifted. Um, and, and, and the work that I'm doing now is actually addressing some of the things that I couldn't do when I was in government. Right. I couldn't be in very much intentional on certain things because like we're government, we have to be all things to all people. But now I could say, like, no, I don't need to be all things to all people. This is the lane I'm gonna operate in. This is the work that I'm gonna be doing. And for me, it's all about you know, BIPOC communities. You know, it's it's black, right? It's indigenous people of color. You know, what can we do to help with those specific communities? Everybody else, you know, there's programs out there for you, but I just want to folks in this particular way. Um, so, so that's been a, a huge relief for me.
0: So even though you've had this relief, I know sometimes when you go through a traumatic experience professionally, it can really shake your confidence about your ability to execute. Did you have any of that once you walked away and went to the next thing?
1: Yeah. So, so that, and that, that, that's interesting. Uh, I would say that um, it, it pointed back to leadership. Right. And it, it pointed back to why it's important to have, you know, people who understand, um, like how to be good leaders, how to motivate a team. You know, there, there were moments in time where I felt like, mm, okay. I probably wouldn't have done it this way. I probably would have done it that way, but I'm not the guy in charge. Right. Um, so, so it did not affect me and my confidence. Uh, you know, I, if anything, um, I will say that sometimes because you're, you have blinders on and you're focused on this part of your career, you don't realize that if you are really good at your job, the impact that you've made in the community, that when you step away, I will tell you, I cannot. I, I am so blessed. There were so many people who were in my corner. And when I say in my corner, and this is an important thing for, for your viewers, uh, and I think, I don't know if we talked about this, but your network is so important right because you want to have you know and i call them the literally the cheerleaders in your life right it's literally the person that's going to talk about you that's going to like rave about you when you're not in the room right that's the circle that you want to have you don't want to have people who are talking about you negatively you want to have people that's going to talk about you positively and i cannot tell you how many people heard about opportunities and said you know what you should talk to greg or you know what Greg, I just heard about this, like, let me know if you're interested, I'm going to connect to you, right? Literally so many people, there were so many opportunities that, you know, I was considering after, you know, once I was at Coral, because everybody knew I was interim, that it just confirmed that, you know, the the person who I became, the leader that I became, you know, the work that I did, uh, you know, throughout the the almost 12 years with the city, not only had an impact in the community, uh, but... I was able to make a connection that I will be forever grateful uh, to the community, uh, and therefore they were all rooting for me. Right? They were like, "All right, thank you very much for your service." You know, we don't know why it's happening now, but oh well. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, "How can we help you?" Right? Um, so I I was in a unique position to sort of say, "This is what I want to do next." Right? Sometimes we don't have that. We sort of take the next opportunity, whatever. But I actually said, nope, I want to work in this particular area. I want to do this particular type of work. Um, and and it so happened. And that's another thing that I would always encourage. Like, you know, a, cl- a closed mouth, don't get fed, right? So I literally told everyone who would listen, this is what I want to do. Like, this is my dream job. Um, and and I'm, I'm so blessed right now that I am in my dream job. You know, like literally, like, I, I just can't. I mean, we'll talk offline, but I, I really can't like think about any other thing that I would want to do right now.
0: So stepping back though, to that interim period, this is interesting to me because you don't hear about us getting interim opportunities often, like to stand something up or to help to source the right executive. Um, yep. But how does that come about? Like, how do you make the decision to be like, I'm just here for this finite it's,
1: point in it's- It's So first of all, um, uh, your network and also, uh, and you touched on it, the confidence that you have that you, this is not the thing for you. It's a thing, but the thing is coming and you just have to be confident that when you complete your assignment, that the thing that you want will be there. A number of us, and I've had, you know, conversation with mentees all the time, you know, especially people of color because opportunity does not present itself often whenever it does you jump on it. Right. Um, And sometimes, you know, you stay in jobs because you're nervous about, well, I don't know if I'm going to find another job. Right. Because it was so hard. The glass ceiling was so difficult to break that you just don't have the energy or strength to try to break another glass ceiling to get to where you need to be. So I get it. Right. And, and, and so, but for me, you know, there was a level of confidence that I had, and I think it goes back to what you were talking about. You know, 12 years of of working in government um, will give you a level of comfort that you know that no matter what happens, you have the necessary skills to do a number of things, right? Because this is not just like I'm a programmer, then so therefore I have like, you know, Ruby and Rails, that's my skill set. that's all I know, that's all I wanna do, right? think about it, like I was a commissioner. So literally a CEO of a company of 300 people, right? So not only do I know how to manage large organizations, but I had to be accountable to the people of New York City, the elected officials of New York City, the stakeholders of New York City. We had to launch programs that delivered results. We had results that, you know, when you think about in the, in the private sector, you talk about KPIs, right? Like literally our kpis was public if we did not meet those results the press would report on it right we had to come up with comm strategy to make sure that we protected our principles in this case you know mayor bloomberg and then mayor de blasio like there's so many skill sets that like i had to muster in order to do my job effectively so that's where that confidence came from but totally get like why people would say like well you know if i'm in an interim position i want to actually stay here Uh, And so my network, because I was connected to people, when my network found out that I was ready to go, right, then opportunities came. And because I loved Quoro, right, because I actually participated, it was a great opportunity at at the right time because it was just, you know, I was ready to move on. Um, They needed assistance. And so I knew that I would be able to step in, you know, I didn't know what what I needed to, to, you know, there was a lot of work that needed to be done, which I didn't know, but I knew I'd be able to deal with it because I've dealt with like different size organizations in the past. Um, And because, and this was the refreshing part, because I knew it was intro, like I had a focus. It was like, okay, let's get A completed, let's get B completed and let's get C completed. Once that's done, then I'm done, my assignment is done. And if I don't have anything, that's fine, right? I just recalculate my spending, my budget. Um, but I'm confident that I'll be able to find something relatively quickly. The one stressful part was, you know, doing these things in parallel, right? Because you're having conversations about what's next. You're focused on delivering on the mission. Um, and in some cases, I remember one week I had like three interviews lined up. And I don't know if you've interviewed recently, but like, <laughs> like the this the world has changed in terms of interviews right now you have to present you know you have to do like presentations and writing samples and blah 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 projects blah, blah. and it's yeah, project yeah like just talk to me like you know like like look at my resume what else you need from me right but but you know I get it right you want to make sure you 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 hire the right person and and literally I had to juggle all of that while I was doing the assignment. So it was a little bit stressful, but at the end of the day it was you know i always say like i've i've been through the heat already right and 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 been through the fire and and a little bit of fire just makes you much stronger right um it, it's it's not going to hurt so
0: yeah i you know i will tell people that this new way of uh, interviewing has found its way into the legal profession as well like Listen. which i just i wasn't really familiar with it and i'm at the point in my career where i get calls from executive recruiters like all the yeah. time yeah. so like this is maybe uh 12, 18 months ago, somewhere in there between that period. And uh I get this call and, and the opportunity sounded really intriguing. It was with like a major yeah. consulting yeah. firm, yeah. which yeah. will like remain, you know, nameless. Yeah. yeah. And I go through, you know, the initial screening process, have these great conversations. And then the executive recruiter hits me back like, oh, they want you to go through this exercise. Right. <laughs> and you need to block out an hour because it's time. Like you're gonna get yeah. an email with yeah. this case like this problem to solve you have an hour to turn it around right and i'm like is this the bar exam because i have not done this (laughs) since i was trying to become a lawyer and you're telling me like i haven't and what's so funny about that for me is like as an attorney that's not real life like you don't send me for the work that i do like you don't send me an issue or a potential use case and i have to give you an answer in In six minutes right um so, I found the process quite interesting. I floated through it because I've been doing this a long time, and I've decided that I wasn't interested in the position. But, yeah, like it's it's a lot of jumping through hoop.
1: What's interesting is that, you know when I was at with the city, there were different divisions. So, one of the things you know, I was proud of is being intentional, building a diverse team. um and and part of that intentionality was, you know whenever individuals needed to make a hire, every hiring decision, had to be approved by me right i know it sounds like it's controlling but hiring is not you know it, it, like there is no bottleneck right it literally i just needed to review who you wanted to hire the resume of the person who did you consider right and then i would look at you know skill sets diversity you know did we have a good enough pool the first pool et cetera et cetera right and if i didn't see a diverse pool i'd say no you gotta like go back right you know don't tell me that you This is the best person because you didn't have a good pool. All that to say, one of the conversations I had with one of the groups was, how are you, like, there was a written assignment and they were explaining to me the person didn't do well with the written assignment, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, can you show me this written assignment? I literally like, do you have something out there that I have to, like, that I, like, if I had to apply for a job, I may not even get the job, right? Because, and I'm the commissioner, you know what I mean? So, so, yeah, I mean, th- this these are all like additional barriers that we also have to make sure that our people are, are, are aware of, right? I know they, they are probably trying to figure out how well you do under stress, how well is your writing like on the spot and all that stuff. But, you know, again, you know, we are fighting for, and when I say we, people of color, black individuals are fighting because, you know, first it was like, let's check your credit. Let's check your criminal record. Let's check all these things that I know you're going to have you know, sort of like a negative experience because of systemic racism. So now it's like, okay, let's introduce new things to figure out how we can like sift out, you know, uh, individuals. Uh, and I just want to be careful, and this is for all organizations, that we don't rely too much on on sort of like, you know, the the these these practical examinations, et cetera, uh, because then that becomes no, another barrier for for uh, diversity.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I'm a lawyer, but I work in tech, which is notoriously lacking diversity. And I'm very committed to creating those those diversity pipelines within technical fields. And the research that I've been doing for these HBCUs who have, many of which have these incredible computer science programs, engineering schools, amazing talents. But when you look at the statistics, the amount of graduates they're churning out, but then the the small percentage who actually end up in jobs yeah. in their desired field the disparity is insanity right and and what you're what I'm learning through this process is that they're getting the academic education but they're not being prepped for how to succeed in these interviews through these various projects that and that hack that challenges that or whatever or whatever else is there
1: mm-hmm. we heard the same thing um you know one of the programs that you know I didn't actually launch this was the previous commissioner but you know, we were able to build upon the, the foundation um, that she laid was the industry partnerships. And we spoke to tech companies and said, hey, why are you not hiring from like CUNY schools? And they said the same thing. Like a lot of the CUNY graduates, they don't know how to work in groups. They don't know how, you know, there's a number of cultural things. And and a lot of that stemmed from, guess what? Internship opportunities. Like the, they, they did not have access to internships. And, and literally, you know part of that having access is that we all know that if I work in tech um, and you know I have a son that I'm gonna like ask my friend to, you know put my son on the list for another internship project, right? um and and so it's that network again, right? and And if you, and I, I'm not gonna call it the, the old boys network, but you know in in tech, it tends to be white male. so you you're just seeing it that that perp- the, the sort of like the, the disparity. In terms of demographic, perpetuates because you know you just have one group of individuals looking out for you know each other, um, and, and so you know it takes a while to dismantle some of these things, and and that's why when we talk about building like an anti-racist organization, when we talk about white supremacy, you know some people are trying to make it uh, it's a political thing, but all we're saying is that there are structures that have been in place over time. And, you know, and and literally that structure has prevented from individuals of color from participating in the marketplace, right? Um, So whether it's a good education, whether it's a good internship, which leads to a good job, whether it's, you know, getting the capital that you need to like run your business or getting the mortgage that you need to actually buy a piece of property that you could then leverage to build a better business, like all these things are structural. Um, and and so people just need to have an open mind and, and understand that, and and that's why it's important for us to really understand our history. And I think you know we we talked about uh, actually we didn't talk about this, but in when I was you know talking to some of my, my colleagues in in and out of government, you know one of the things that this country really needs to do is have a truth and reconciliation you know sort of committee, sort of literally like what happened in South Africa. There are individuals in this country who do not want to talk about slavery and do not want to talk about Jim Crow, and do not want to talk about, you know, sharecropping, and do not want to talk about anything that has happened. But literally, think about this. We are in 2021, right? And I grew up, I, you know, grew up in the 80s, right? And there are people who, in my generation, are descendants of slavery. Like, literally, their grandparents or their parents were slaves. And so this stuff is, this is not something that's like, you know we're talking about when the dinosaurs were running around right this is stuff that's that's in that we're seeing the impact on generation and and so if we do not come to the sort of like this accountability part and say look this is what has happened to this country just in the 60s the 60s and the 70s did we stop redlining right so that's recent history and if I can't own a home in Long Island because of the color of my skin. And that was only changed recently. And when I say recently, like in the 70s, you know, that's in my lifetime, right? So what does that mean in terms of my ability to have equity, to then send my child to a good school, to then my child gets the internship opportunities that they need to then get that good job that they need? Like all those things are part of what, why we need to really focus on addressing the, the systemic challenges that racism uh created within this country.
0: So thinking about the work that you're embarking upon that you're incredibly excited about um and, and really oh, the impactful, thing. yes, like <laughs> the cheekbones are way up, right? And and I, and I and I understand it and I definitely have an appreciation for that that passion. Um, I also know that when you get into these roles and This is knowledge that you've had from your your previous career, but you get into the statistics of it all, really into the weeds on structural inequality and the barriers that we face and the fact that it is systemic, it can become overwhelming. And you realize that no one organization is going to single-handedly solve these issues and really steer us, steer the ship in a different direction. So how do you maintain not only confidence, but... I would say joy in the wins that you can manage and that you can attain, knowing that there's this overarching, these overarching issues that you're not gonna solve by yourself.
1: Bite-sized pieces, right? It, it's literally, and and I and I, I, I tell folks this in, in terms of life, right? Um and, and this happens to me too. So I I love the outdoors, I love hiking, right? And, and literally when and, and every hiker will tell you, like you don't look at the, you know, the peak, right? You look at every incremental steps and every at every station, because if you look at the peak, you're just going to become overwhelmed, right? You're going to be like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to make it up there? But you just take step by step by step. And that's what we have to do, right? And so the work that, that I'm going to be working on will be, you know, incremental pieces of, you know, hopefully uh, the ability to prove that we can make a change In a small, you know, and and we couldn't say this in in one administration, but pilots, right? Literally, we are going to try unique things. We're going to be entrepreneurial. We're going to try, you know, different interventions. If it works, that's great. Guess what? We could then, using a number of other, uh, you know, individuals in our network, use that as a case study. And then because we have a strong network, hopefully using that as a case study will then encourage other people, right? It's sort of like, and I don't know if this is really true or not, but the butterfly effect, uh, I've, I've read that it's actually not true, but I still like the concept, right? Where a butterfly, like it flutters its wings. And then like, if all the butterflies flutter the wings, then they create like the the, the displaced air. And then that displaced air then turns into like, ultimately like a hurricane. Basically saying like the butterfly it's like, but, but like literally just think about it. If we try something small in Brooklyn and it actually is effective, guess what? We now have a blueprint in terms of giving, you know, a, that sort of like, here's a case study that you can use to prevent gun violence in Chicago, in Miami, in Houston, in LA, you know, in Detroit, like in any other major urban center, because here are the things that worked. Here are the things that didn't. Here's, you know, you, you, here's a blueprint. Why don't you take it and, and customize it to your area? So that brings joy to me, the fact that I can test certain things, see if it works. And you know what? It's okay if we fail, right? And that's the other thing that you have to also, because in life, failure is all about experience. You will never find a successful CEO, you know, any of, you know, any of the billionaires that you talk to, any of the millionaires that you talk to, they'll tell you. The reason I got to this point is because I failed 110 times, right? And it was on the 111th time. Is when I hit success, right? So you can't be afraid to fail, and I think that is one of the things we are embracing: is that look, we are not going to have all the answers to the questions uh, ahead of us, uh, but we are willing to try, and we're willing to, you know, get some really good thought partners to tackle this issue. And as long as I tried and gave it my best shot, uh, then I'm, I'm totally, you know, happy. And we just learn, and we will just adapt, right? And that's the other thing we have so much flexibility that we could adapt and try it again and try it again and try it again. Um, so for me, it's bite-sized pieces, um, you know, tackling and, and, you know, you chip away at the edges, right. And, and at a certain point, if you keep chipping away at the edges, guess what? The whole thing collapses.
0: And I'm glad you brought up having the space to fail because I think and it's cultural. We've been socialized that we've got to knock it out of the park the first time, every time. And specifically when we're talking about issues of racism, structural inequality and the like, there there hasn't been really grace to iterate. Like, you know, you have people with the money that hold the purse strings. These organizations they are like, OK, we're going to give you some dollars to try to figure it out. And if what you do doesn't work the first time, it's like, well, we tried. That didn't work. We, we tried to recruit engineers from an HBCU. <sighs> They, they failed. Like, that's just it. And, and not realizing that this literally is what has to happen. You have to be given the opportunity to try and make adjustments. And if it falls flat, it falls flat. But it doesn't mean that we don't get up and try again and invest more money and keep going until we figure out what really does work. Isn't it,
1: isn't it weird that whenever we're talking about black culture, and I'll just say black culture, that the expectation um, is so high in terms of perfection? Like, I don't think there's any other, and, and maybe I, I shouldn't generalize, but, but I'll speak personally, right? As a black man, I am expected to operate at 100% efficiency, 100% perfection. And if there's anything, anything that I stumble on, then, oh, uh, you know, right? And, 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 you know, when you talk about, and we started this conversation talking about stress and talking about the impact of, of like covid but the impact of just being black in America, like literally the stress levels that we go through, the stress of having to be perfect, the stress of like, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I've talked about this in, in terms of like, why do you think black men tend to veer to like wearing suits, right, and and not be casual, right? Because we're, we're, we're programmed that we need to be a certain, we need to look a certain way, we need to talk a certain way, we need like, and all that stuff, right, comes back from you know, again. Slavery, like literally, you trace it all the way back, right? Um, and, and and so, so yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not conditioned to accept failure, right? It's it's almost like it's it's just it's not. In, and especially now, I just said black, but then if you if you're culturally, you know, from the continent or the islands or anywhere else. Like there's a whole other level of, of stress as well, right, in, in terms of, you know, not being able to fail. So so it, it's literally all of us in the diaspora, you know, have a level of stress that's on us. And part of it is not being able to enjoy failure. Um, and that is a luxury, right? Because failure for us, for example, and, and this is why like our conversations can never be an hour, Right. If I want to start a business and I ask you for, you know, I I need $50,000 and I ask the markets for $50,000, right? You have worked really hard for that $50,000. Your savings, are you going to think twice about giving me your entire savings to start a business? Because if I fail, it's not just me failing, right? But then like you are now out of your savings, which you may not get again right? The market is out of it. So our failure has a compounded impact on the community, which is why it's so difficult for entrepreneurs, especially black entrepreneurs, to get those angel investors, right? To get those individuals who are willing to invest in you and say, look, here's 50,000. You know, if if you do well, I'll do well. If not, it's okay. I'll get 50,000 again, right? That's not a common language in our community. It's some of us, but not all of us right um so so like we are so conditioned not to fail that you know we don't realize that failure is part of life failure is actually part of success um and we just have to be bold and say okay right the the beauty about failure is that you need to have a plan like when you do fail like what am i going to do at that point in time right um and and that's how we i think can manage our stress levels right because if we you know, I, I will tell you. I, sometimes I just really wish I had the confidence of like a mediocre like white man, right? It's, it's like you know, they're just like, "I'm gonna run for president," right? <laughs> I've never held an office before, but I'm gonna run for president. Oh, I became president. Okay, well, then, you know, like, like look at this. We went from Obama to Trump, right? And that is like the epitome of what I just talked about. Obama wore a tan suit, and it was like, oh, my God, he's, you know, like, really? <laughs> you know, you know like, and then, like, this guy that just went out of office, like, I could have run circles around him in terms of management. You know what I mean? But look how confident he was. Look how confident he was. And guess what? When he went to the banks, he didn't need to, like, you know, I'm confident. Like, no, this deal is going to work. This deal is going to work. OK, here's $20 million, right? You know? Meanwhile, like we go to the bank and they're like, hmm, you don't have any experience in this industry. Like, you know, why do you think this is going to, you know what I mean? Like, there's just a level of like a different type of reaction. So anyway, all I'm going to say is like for our people, look, let's, let's get together. Let's celebrate failure. Let's celebrate each other, you know, but more important, let's support each other. Like we got to support each other. That's one of the things. And, you know, I'll talk about it later on. When I say later on, maybe we may need to have another check-in when I'm in my new role. Uh, But I want to instill a sense of community because I think that is what's missing. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it takes a village. Right. So it takes a village to do everything. It takes a village to support a small business. It takes a village to support a young person. It takes a village to support each other. Um, And, you know, growing up in Grenada, like I grew up in a village. Right. My 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 grandmother knew everyone in the area and everyone knew me. So it's one of those situations where if I was not behaving you know, <laughs> you know, like in the in the park, someone knew who I was and would either discipline me at the time, right? Even though they weren't like my my parents or anything like that, but they felt they were responsible for me, or it would get back to my grandmother, right? And then I would get just disciplined even more, not only for behaving bad but for embarrassing her, right? So, so that sense of community is gone, right? That sense of community is gone in terms of like I need to find, you know, I one of my friends. Uh, he has, uh, uh, you know, he makes, and I was going to actually wear it for the interview, but then like I spill something on it. Um, but he does like a, a, a polo shirt line, right. It's a Right. And literally, you know, we've got to rally the community. This is two black men who are in retail, right. We need to find and be intentional about finding black owned businesses. We need to be intentional of like, okay, you know, if that shirt should normally cost 50 bucks and, you know, he's charging 60 or 70, it's OK. Right. Because I'm going to support. Right. Let's not talk. Let's not focus on the fees and the funds. It's more about supporting because we know if we support each other, then your success is my success. Because studies have shown that black owned businesses hire within their community. We're hiring our own people. Right. Um, at a far more greater rate than other owned uh, businesses. So again, we have to see like the support that we're giving you is like, I'm not in, you know, yes, your prices may be higher, but like, I'm going to support you because ultimately you're going to support the community. Um, So there's a lot we could talk about in terms of like, you know, that sort of like thinking, but again, it's all about the the realities of, we just have to accept failure. We have to understand how, when we are successful, how to reach back and help each other. you know there's so much things that, that, that we need to do. Uh, but I think we're almost we, we're, we're almost there like as a community. That last year has been really impactful um, and and certainly has shown the power that we have as a collective, as a voice when we're like enough is enough.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I want to definitely touch on and tie back to what something that you said earlier, is around this idea that not only we have to be perfect, but like, this is the one opportunity. And that, that comes in not only with investing, but also, I think, in job opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned having all these conversations, taking these interviews. What I see happening is someone who I know who's, you know, Black, person of color, they hear about a job and they go in, somebody has referred them and they have the conversation and it goes well. But as the interviewee, they're like, I only know if this is the right thing for me but Mm -hmm. they feel pressure to accept it because subconsciously Mm -hmm. we often think that this is the only shot we have. And guess what?
1: And guess what they're offering me, you know, $150,000, but I actually really want $200,000. But you know what? I, you know, I'm afraid to ask for more because they may say no. And then I may lose the job. Right. This is all the things that we're conditioned. And it's literally because, you know, we don't, operate in a just system, right? So we don't know if the next opportunity, there's going to be someone who is biased, right? And may say no, not because I'm not, like I'm skilled for the job, but they may say no because of the color of my skin. There's always that in the back of my mind, like, you know, am I going to get this job or am I going to lose this job? Not because I'm not qualified, but because of the color of my skin, right? Right. And, and so that constantly plays out in every, I think, in, you know, every time we go on interviews. So that's why when we do find something and we do get that opportunity, we're just like, I'm not going to push it. Right. Uh, I've had several conversations about salary negoci- negotiations, and, and that has always been, you know, one of the challenges uh, like our people face in terms of like how to ask for more, you know, how to say no. Right. Um, and and I always tell people, you know, go in there And and don't assume that that's going to be the only job that you will ever have or be eligible for or hear about, right? Um, And and I always tell folks that if you're not happy now going in, then don't take the job, right? So if you're not happy about the salary, if you're not happy about negotiations, then don't take it. Uh, Because, you know, that is going to be your world for some time. And you don't want to be miserable, you know, your first couple of days
0: in the job. And if you go in trailing on the salary front, it's only going to continue. There, there is rarely that calibration where you make up for what you didn't get in that first salary negotiation.
1: You know what I tell, and, and do not, and <laughs> this is the thing that people, you know, oh, we'll try you for, you know, we'll, we'll come, we'll bring you in at 150 and then six months later, we'll get you to 200. Mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, the Seinfeld, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, now. You're right? now. Because what I tell people is that whatever salary you negotiate now, assume you're going to be in that salary for the next three years. So look at your budget, look at your life. You know, things change, yes, but look at all the goals that you want to accomplish. And if you can't do it with the salary that you're coming in right now, like, then that's not that's not either the salary that you need to be ne- negotiating, or that's not the job for you. And I know it sounds like really rigid, but it's, you know, and, and there are companies, I, you know i'm surprised there's some companies out there that will you know after 6 months they will actually give you that bonus or or you know after a year because you work so hard they'll you know move it up but you and i know uh, and but a lot of people don't know when you're sort of making you know um you know suggestions for salary increases you know there's a certain range in terms of percentage right it's like 1% 2% 3% you're not hearing 50% you're not hearing like 30% right it's like literally You know, the HR folks start like heads exploding when you're like at 10 percent. Right. So Mm -hmm. so that's why it's like, you know, your salary will increase, but by small increments, um, no matter how hard you work. So just be ready that the number that you want is the number that you get from the very beginning.
0: Yeah, because you will hear that we have bans and we can't extend on the band. It's all this HR speak, which is why that sense of community is so important. And we need to start disclosing more the money piece. And yeah. anybody that calls me and says, I get calls in the legal profession all the time. I'm I'm moving from Wall Street. I'm going to the startup space. Or I'm going from startup back into a large organization. What do I ask for? How did you yeah. to achieve X, Y, and Z? And I'm willing, I'm very forthcoming about that because we don't have the exposure. In addition to just being socialized to take what we're given, we do not have the knowledge base often to go in and even know what we should be asking for. So the first offer that comes down, it's like, well, oh, my grandmother never made this kind of money. My parents, like, you know, and not realizing that you're trailing behind the man right next to you who doesn't look like you and who's doing the oh, same exact job.
1: You are listen, you're hitting on so listen, we're comparing each, we're comparing ourselves to each, like like literally to others in the community. But remember, as a community, we are way behind, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally, when we think about salaries and when we think about like our earning potential, we need to think about what am I worth, right? What's my skill set worth? And not compare it to anyone else, right? It's up, uh, it's that number is personal to you. So, so I always, you know, I always say, like, look, how much are you worth? Like, you know, this company wants you for a reason. They want your skill. They want whatever it is. Like, what is your number? Like, don't, don't, don't think about like who else is was in the role, or whatever, because who knows? Like they have a different skill set. They had they bought a different thing, but what's your number? It's helpful to have like the 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 boundaries. Um, but I always and and then you know, some people are like, Am I asking for too much? I'm like, Well, are you worth that much? Yeah. Well, no, you're not, right? And then it's up to the company to decide whether or not they want to make that investment. But absolutely right. One of the things I loved about working in government was everybody's salary was public. public. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. you, you just had, there's no way you could actually have like pay parity issues, right? Because everybody knew what everybody like made. Um, but I think, you know, more and more in the private sector, you're getting people who are, and especially Like when we have these types of conversations, it's important for you to know, like, okay, this is how much, you know, individuals make in this particular area. Um, And, you know, understand that if I tell you my salary, I'm actually at a at a discount as well, because, you know, there are other individuals who probably will would have made more based on, you know, either their experience or whatever. Right. Um, So you have to just take all that data in. And then figure out what your number will be.
0: Absolutely. So shifting gears before we let you get out of here, this is a question we've been asking everybody in these check-ins. You're kind of outside already, right? But when we reach this herd immunity and we're free to do all the things that we used to do, (laughs) what's the first thing you're going to do?
1: Oh, man. Oh, man. You know, I have so many first things that I want to do, but you know what? I will I will be totally honest with you. Uh, one of the first things I want to do is just go to a concert. Um, whether it's Afropunk, whether it's everyday people, like, I just want to be around people. I want to be like rams, like body to body, just moving with the music and the energy and just like, you know, I just want to like, you know, I just want to have that feeling again, like that euphoria of like just hugging friends and like, you know, just listening to good music. Uh, yeah, that that's like one of the the first things. Uh, I have a long list, right? Because I, I, I need to go back to Grenada, uh, sit on the beach, hang out. Uh, I want to go to South Africa, uh, hang out. Like, you know, there's a whole I, there's a whole bunch of like things that I want to do, but I just want to be around people. I'm 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 like I'm I'm big on 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 like just energy. Um and, and I miss that. You know, and, and I think that that will be the ultimate, right? Because, you know, I looked at and and you know, um, it. I realized when I get to a certain age, when you start losing like your childhood, like you know, uh, celebrities and and all that. So DMX recently passed, right? And 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 DMX, um, you know, I grew up in in, in New York City, um, and, and so one of his concerts it was, I think, the world concert, right, where he performed. I mean, just as Far back as the eye can see, it was just people. The first thing I thought was like, "Oh my god!" Like, look how many germs are in there. <laughs> like, it was just like, was like, oh my god! They're so like packed. But then I was like, "But I want to, I want to be there. Like, I want to do that. I, I want to like be like, like literally, like smashed together with people. Because then I know that that we have we've passed the curve, right?" Uh, and then, then you deal with like the regular cold and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's that's a moment that that's that's really what I that that's what I'm looking for.
0: Concert is high on my list. I didn't like being smashed together before COVID. So not happening after. i going to just say that right now. I'm really moving to space in my life where I just want my like Skybox VIP lounge. I said it on. Here. Oh, no, no, no,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> you got to be in the
0: crowd
1: and then like. You know, a certain song comes and you're in that cipher, and everybody was like, you know, moving and dancing and da da da. Like, oh man, like everyday yeah. people. You've not been to everyday people like yeah, like event. You you got to. But it's either that or afropunk. Afropunk, hands down. You know, I I love like the lineups of uh, afropunk. So um, hopefully this year we you know they have it. I I it's it's in August, so you know it's kind of iffy. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I I'm, will
0: say this, though. The first concert I go to, when the lights go down and that opening refrain, you know, that those crazy yeah, live intros I, that they do, I might yeah. actually cry. I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah, I might yeah. actually cry the first time. Because that's, that's me. Like, music is yeah. my thing, right? Concerts yeah, are my yeah, thing. So yeah. when I first get to hear that sick opening at a show yeah, that's not yeah, on yeah. the album, yeah. I might shed a tear or two. I'm not yeah. gonna, I might shed a tear.
1: But we we realized like we survived like yeah. literally yeah. you know our grandkids we have to tell our grandkids like you know the pandemic of twenty twenty um, you know was it half a million Americans did not mm-hmm. you know what I mean that, that's 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 not a small number um, and as you said you know uh, we all have been impacted by it uh, but I think it's it's you know it's definitely an opportunity for us to reset right um, and, you know for those who survived and you know, and think about like what really life is about. Right. And, 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 you know, if, if you, and, and there are, you know, I saw this during the pandemic, you know, use this time to learn a new language, do this, da 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 da. You know what, if you didn't, that's fine. Right. If you just focus on your mental, that's totally fine. Right. But I think coming out of this, we also need to say like, okay, what happened cannot happen again. Right. So we need to look at our health we need to look at access to healthy foods in communities of color. We need to look at education, you know, going back to the fact that so many people working from home that could work from home, right? There's a whole bunch of, you know, workers didn't have the luxury of working from home. And then there are other individuals like, oh, you can work from home. But what what happens if home has like 20 people in it and like barely any broadband? How can you even be like efficient at home? So there's certain things that I think, that this pandemic has sort of removed, I would say, the scales, right? And, and now we're seeing the rawness of inequality and how it impacts community. And now we got to heal, right? We got to put the ointment on. We got to like, okay, this is this is how we're going to fix this, right? And, you know, these companies, and I'll stop with, with this one right here. There's a major bank, right? That literally made commitments to the Black Lives Matter m- movement. They talked about, it, and I know, and and I know individuals that that back personally. I know the CEO. I know, you know, the I know a lot of folks, and I know they're very committed. I am a shareholder of that company. I get my shareholder voting proxy thing, and there's a, 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 you know, there's different things that you'll vote on. And in one of them, it says, produce a racial equity report. And literally, it's about you know, hiring, it's about investing, it's about all that kind of stuff. That is the thing that I would expect a company like that and knowing the people in it to be progressive. Do you know what? The board said no, like their recommendation is no. And I went ballistic. I was like, you know, how could the board not understand like this is the moment in time. And I think the more of that type of reaction where people are like, no, like, no, we need that, right? We're not going to tolerate like just empty lip service. We're not going to, yeah, thank thank you for that $100,000 that you just donated to HBCU. But guess what? No, we need more, right? We need a million dollars or no, we actually need a seat at the table, like on your board, right? I think we are in that moment where people are emboldened to say, we're not going to accept the status quo. It's enough, right? We've had enough and this is where we're headed. And you could either join us or get out of the way, right? Because we are now taking control of our community and our lives.
0: And that's a great note to end on. There's nothing to be said after that. <laughs> so thank you, thank you for coming, back to the show. Thank and you so anyway,
1: much for man. catching up. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled uh, to be part of this series, and and looking forward to more conversations because there will be more. Intended.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. There's there's a right. lot more that will be discussed based on where you're headed. And I appreciate that we, we didn't have to go through a bunch of red tape to get you back on the show like we did on the first episode.
1: Oh, um, no, right. The
0: government <laughs> was all in that, OK? To
1: about the difference with government, right?
0: <laughs> so where can people find you online?
1: Oh, so it's really easy. Greg Bishop that NYC. So it's Greg G.R.E.G.G. Bishop that NYC. You can find out more about me, the work that I'm doing, the work that I've done. Uh, it's my personal space online, uh, on Instagram, it's Greg Bishop, uh, and on Twitter, it's Greg Bishop, NYC. So you notice the brand, it's like all tied to New York city. Uh,
0: but absolutely. uh,
1: That's where you can find me.
0: So listen, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. There's going to be a part three. I already know it. It's going to happen. Of course. (laughs) Uh, To our listeners, you know what to do. If you've enjoyed this episode, like, share, subscribe, comment, tell somebody about the show. We are all about knowledge sharing and building ourselves up as a community like we've discussed for the last hour and change. So if you've got information that you feel like is beneficial to you, pass it on to your brother, pass it on to your sister. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. I love it.